This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Margaret, I want to thank you for welcoming us on this fantastic research vessel, the Melville. Our pleasure. And I want to begin by asking you about something I just heard about. You recently were in Paris at the end of last year, and you took a team of students and researchers from the Scripps Institute of Oceanography. And what was the conference like, and what were you trying to accomplish there? Well, I wasn't in Paris for shopping. I was <laughs> there for what we call the Conference of the Parties, COP21. Uh, and this is the place where the climate negotiations take place. We have been the head of the UC delegation for as long as we've been parties to the conference. And we are involved with this because of our long-term research on climate. So Scripps Institution of Oceanography has been one of the premier institutions in detecting climate change in being able to attribute climate change to the various causes, how much are we responsible for, how much is happening as a result of natural change. Uh, and also, we've been very involved in modeling climate to be able to tell what will happen as a result of increasing greenhouse gases. So it's only natural that we would go. And we really had three focuses of attention for this meeting. The first was that although the oceans are 70% of the globe, the oceans were not even included in the climate negotiations. Yes, uh, I hope everybody <laughs> can see your eyes. Startling. Yes, uh, and that was really because the primary focus had been on what was happening on land and what the impacts were on land. But over the 21 years that we've been negotiating, we've found profound impacts on the ocean. The ocean is becoming warmer. We have five decades of data that shows how much warmer the ocean is. It's actually taking up 90% of the heat. The second is that many people have heard of ocean acidification, the ocean becoming slightly more acidic. And that's also a result of the CO2. CO2 is dissolving in the oceans. And then the third thing is that as a result of both the warming and the ocean acidification and other changes, uh, the oxygen content in the midwaters of the ocean is decreasing. So as we say, the ocean is becoming hot, more sour, and breathless. So we wanted to call attention to this and the fact that oceans have to be included. And I'm very pleased to say that they are. We were successful, together with many others who were focused on this. And we also were focused on other parts of the climate system. For example, although we talk a lot about CO2, there are lots of other gases that contribute to warming. Some of them are methane, uh, even all the particulate soot that comes from burning forests and coal and so forth contributes to that. So we also wanted to remind everybody that we have to be conscious of those factors as well as CO2. Is it safe to say that Scripps and the United States are really pushing them this awareness and the need to educate people about the environmental health of our oceans? Absolutely. And this is a, a big focus of the U.S. 
uh, role in the negotiations and, of course, of Scripps Oceanography's role. Well, and it must have been an amazing experience for graduate students that went and got to go to this conference in Paris. Yes, and uh, all of the graduate students had a chance to speak in uh, one of the side sessions. We also had a booth, an informational booth, to tell people about what was happening and to provide them with more information. And so the students also helped us man the booth. So I'm always extremely just want to know about how people find their passions in life. And clearly you have a passion for ocean science and the environmental health of the oceans. I know that you went to the University of Illinois and did your undergraduate work in geology. That's right. So tell me, from geology, when did you start to get interested and excited about the oceans? Uh, It really was through geology. I'd never lived near the ocean, and I'd only seen the ocean once when I graduated from college. But uh, many of the rocks that I studied formed in the oceans. And it seemed to me as though, as long as they were talking about rocks that formed on beaches or rivers or very close to land, that they had really great models of what was happening. And when they said things, it made sense. But when they started talking about rocks that came from the deep ocean, there was a lot of hand-waving. And it seemed to me that what I should do is go off study oceanography then I know I bring all that knowledge back to geology, but um, I, although I'm a geological oceanographer and I study geologic processes in the ocean, I never went back to land geology. I, I heard the the name paleo or paleo, like paleontology and oceanography blended. So was that paleo oceanography? So the is study that study of the oceans in the past and okay. how they evolved, what was happening in them, and that also led me to paleoclimate, what was happening in the climate and how that affected the ocean. And that's how I got interested in climate change. And your PhD was done in Rhode Island, is that correct? Now, during that time, did you go spend time on a ship like this um, for some of your research? Absolutely. And what was that like? And I have a question I have to ask is, how many other women were in the field with you studying oceanography or marine science in graduate school, and then how many of their women were on a research vessel that is out in sea taking measurements of the ocean? Well, I was very fortunate. Um, I started my, my graduate work at Oregon State University, and my first cruise was two months after I arrived, and there were three women on the cruise. We were all graduate students. Uh, there weren't any female faculty in geological oceanography. So uh, I really had um, companions, female companions on the ships. And my second cruise was the next summer, uh, and that was in the Atlantic Ocean. And there were other uh, female graduate students, most notably Kathy Sullivan, who is now the uh, administrator of NOAA. That was her first oceanographic cruise, my second, and we still are very close friends. And it was, uh, uh, it often happens, the people you are graduate students with become your friends and colleagues for life. So do you know what the current data is? Um, You know, my background is physics, and it's come a long way since I went to undergraduate and graduate school, but still physics, computer science, and engineering are highly underrepresented with females, 18, 19%. 
um, females getting bachelors of science degrees in those subjects. What about marine science and oceanography these days? It depends on the field of oceanography. So in biological oceanography and marine biology, uh, half of our entering class of uh, graduate students have been women for some time. In physical oceanography, the circulation of the oceans and currents and so forth, the percentage is less as it is in geological oceanography or geophysics. So it, um, there are many more women entering the field now and entering study of oceanography than there ever have been before. But it's still uh, there's some differences amongst the fields. Right, and you've also spent your career both as a researcher and an administrator. And, I mean, have you noticed a difference in terms of your female, you know, colleagues as you've changed from the research environment to the administrative environment? Uh, I think that I was really in the first wave. And so now, uh, as I said, Kathy Sullivan, uh, who was a graduate student at the same time as the administrator of NOAA, uh, another person that was a graduate student at the same time, Marcia McNutt, mm-hmm. uh, is the editor of Science Magazine. Uh, some of the other people that I went to graduate school with are senior uh, administrators in the U.S. Geological Survey. Uh, one of them is a dean at um, uh, University of Texas, Austin. So right. now there are quite a few women who have not only been doing research and have been very successful, but are also administrators. So you were with a cadre of women that were the trailblazers for the women to come. Yeah. Which is very exciting. And I'm also known as director of Scripps Institution of Oceanography. You'll be welcoming a new vessel into the fleet soon. Can you talk a little bit about that vessel and what it's, how different it is than the Melville we're on right. today and what it, the future plans are for that vessel? So our new vessel is the RV Sally Ride. And it is a 248-foot vessel, 50 feet wide. Uh, it will have space for 24 scientists to be on board and 20 crew. And this ship was paid for by the Office of Naval Research and the Navy, Department of Defense. The new ship is built by a um, shipyard in Washington, but under the supervision of both Scripps and Navy. Uh, So it's a partnership between Scripps and the Navy. And it is part of a new class of oceanographic ships that are all named after astronauts. Uh, And we're so delighted that this one is named Sally Ride because, of course, Sally is from this community in San Diego. Uh, she's, uh, she was a Ph.D. in physics, and when she finished her very distinguished career as an astronaut, she came back to University of California, San Diego, as a physics professor. So this is really an honor for us to have the Sally Ride, and so appropriate for this community to share that distinction. I think, you know, we all know that Sally was the first female astronaut from our country. Her first, her maiden voyage in space was in 1983. I remember distinctly, I was a grad student at that time, and again, in a field that was very underrepresented with women, and I never aspired to be an astronaut, but when that happened, I just realized that she's just opened, paved the way mm. for women to believe that they could do anything. And I'm just wondering, what, where were you or what were you doing 
when she first I launched had into space. I a very similar experience. I was a faculty member, a junior faculty member at University of Rhode Island, and it happened that all of my graduate students and my uh, technicians were women. And we used to celebrate everything. We celebrated when we got a scientific paper published. We celebrated when we got funding. We celebrated birthdays and so forth. And the way that we celebrated was we would drink champagne <laughs> and we would take the little metal uh, container right. for the cork right. and put the cork in it and put a little label on it. And we had acoustic tile ceilings and we would put the, um, the cork up there with commemorating what happened. And the day that um, that that launch took place, uh, one of my technicians brought in a portable television, and we all watched it on TV. We drank champagne, and we put a uh, little tag on that champagne cork that said Sally Ride was representing us all. Wow! They were in that lab for a long time after I left. Wow! And. Uh, as I like to say, she broke the ultimate glass ceiling. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, to me, the naming the new research vessel after her, it's, it's one of the most fitting honors I think she's had after her death. She was awarded the Presidential Honor Freedom Medal and many other things. But this really, I think, if she was alive today, knowing that there was an exploration ship that was going to be going out and she was such a believer of making sure that students all were yes. STEM literate. And I'm sure you have the same beliefs that people all every day people should be aware of what's going on in our oceans in our environment it's and so it's our duty as educators to make sure that they have that knowledge right and we're very dedicated to students participating so I can't think of a cruise uh, that doesn't have graduate students uh, as part of the scientific crew and they're really responsible uh, very responsible for uh, tremendously expensive and complicated equipment uh, that they bring on board and deploy. We even have whole cruises that go out that are just student cruises. And we have, uh, we have funding from the state of California that's available to all of the UCs for students to participate and to propose to uh, do research on the ships. And uh, we've even had them meet the ship um, in foreign ports and do research in the Indian Ocean. Uh, wow. we, we have a group that have proposed to use the uh, ship uh, in the Western Pacific Ocean this next year. Uh, so it's very much uh, a research experience for our students and for all of the students that participate. So you've been at Scripps now as the director for the last th two or three years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. So do you have do you have plans for the next save? Do you have a five-year plan? Well, it's not my plan, it's Scripps' plan. And so about a year and a half ago, uh, all of the faculty and researchers uh, uh, went off on a retreat for uh, a day and a half to talk about not so much, you know, every little thing that we do, but what are the big ideas? What are the ones that uh, require a whole group of people and that would really require the institution to get behind the idea as well as just the individual researchers. And we have uh, a whole group, group of those ideas. Um, some of the highlights are uh, certainly related to climate, the impact of climate on the oceans, on us, on land, um, how we can adapt to that. Uh, we're also very interested in hazards like uh, tsunamis and earthquakes and drought and flood and how our research can um, 
can help people uh, be more resilient in the face of hazards. We're world experts in the development of new technology, whether it's measurement devices or whole platforms of equipment or even systems of observation. And uh, so that will certainly be a continuing uh, area of effort. And then we're also very interested in human health and the oceans. How does uh, the ocean affect our health, whether it's uh, pollution, whether it's seafood safety, whether it's the, um, the, the sea spray that, that affects our health, um, are there drugs from the ocean that we can develop that will help us um, with uh, any kind of health problem. So those are just a few of the exciting areas that the faculty identified that we'll be working on in the future. And most of them require the use of the ship. Right, right. So in the beginning we talked about Paris and the importance of your team educating people on not only what's going on in the atmosphere with increased carbon emissions, but what's happening to the oceans. So, and you said that, you know, you've you've kind of, there has been change in the mindset now and people are understanding that ocean health is very important. Do you think that young people, you know, just during your career, do you think that this current generation of young people are more aware of what's going on in the environment and are more concerned with protecting the environment and taking care of our planet for the future? Definitely. Uh, when I was growing up, I would people were interested in the ocean, and people my age, as a you know, as a young student, were interested. But it was really more curiosity. You know, what's out there? How does it work? Um, you know, can how can we get to understand it? And now that we do understand more, we see a lot of the ways that humans impact the ocean, in spite of the fact that it's so big. And I think that one of the sort of strange things is, you know, when you look at the ocean from land or even from the ship, it sort of looks the same as it has my entire Beautiful life. Beautiful blue water. Beautiful <laughs> blue water. And, and one of the things about the ocean is, of course, the, the, most of the life of the ocean is underneath, so we don't see it changing. Uh, the chemistry of the ocean is not something that you see. The currents are not something that you see. The temperature is not something that you see. But uh, now I think that we've done a better job of conveying people, conveying to people what's actually happening. And so there's a lot of interest in how, how is this going to influence us and what do we need to do uh, to adapt to the changes, what do we need to do to protect the ocean from uh, greater change, and are there other changes that we don't know about that are happening? Right, right. So um, is there anything that you still feel like you haven't accomplished in your career? Because, Margaret, you have done so much through your research, th through your time at National Science Foundation, you know, now ending up here at Scripps. Is there anything, you've been out in research vessels, um, you've been all around the world. Is there anything that you still feel like, I still need to do this, you know, um, well, you in always, my career? Well, you always <laughs> feel like you need to do this. Uh, I think that one of the exciting things, especially for this community in San Diego, is what a rich community it is for the maritime economy. And that is something that we're really looking at at Scripps and how can we partner more effectively with all of the companies that are developing uh, technologies and capability with 
for the ocean. Uh, there are a lot of people that are interested in biotech and the mm -hmm. ocean. How can we partner with them? Uh, so I think that there are there are always new frontiers and new capabilities uh, and new excitement. There is definitely not a single day that I go into the office and say, oh, ho-hum, it's another right. day at the right. office. Right. Uh, it, it's... Uh, it's a really exciting time. Well, thank you, Margaret, so much for your time, for your inspiration, and for being a lifetime leader in ocean science. Thank you, and we look forward to welcoming the community to visit the Sally Ride when she arrives this summer. Thank you.